Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. We're so happy to have so many wonderful fans, viewers, and listeners to the Addiction Solution Podcast. We know that many of our listeners are seeking a solution to addiction for themselves or someone they love. So let me tell you about our Freedom Model online program. It's like no other program for addiction in the world. The Freedom Model online program, or FMOP as we call it, was made for those who still want to be able to learn a solution, but do it on their own, in the privacy of home and on their schedule, but with guidance from the addiction experts who developed the Freedom Model. FMOP consists of more than 65 video lessons taught by Mark Sheeran and me. We're the co-developers of the Freedom Model. The program includes additional lessons not included anyplace else. They are the mind and brain, the binge construct, and life movements. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family Online Program, the 12-step deprogramming seminar series, which people love, new quick lessons taught by certified Freedom Model coaches posted each week, the Freedom Model monthly newsletter, and a two-hour live question-and-answer coaching session with Mark and myself on the last Wednesday of every month. And FMOP is affordable. For just $450, you have access for the first month. And if you feel you need more time, you can maintain your access for just $49.95 for each additional month. You can enroll in FMOP today at thefreedommodel.org. Or if you have questions about our products or services, call us at 888-424-2626. We are happy to help. Hey, everybody. Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution. And uh, my name is Mark Sheeran, and this is Michelle Dunbar. We are the authors of The Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. Along with our colleague, Stephen Slate. That's right. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about the addict and alcoholic self-image, um, because if you still have it, you're going to continue to struggle. Even if you've read the Freedom Model, even if you've done the online program, um, there are a lot of people that don't buy into the idea of addiction as a disease or condition, but still keep a lot of the belief systems of the self-image. Yeah. So, so chapters eight, nine, and ten is specifically what we're talking about today. And one of, one of the things when I'm when I'm coaching people, we do coaching and. Um, They'll say, you know, Mark, I haven't been to a rehab. I haven't, I, I don't have this experience. I don't need to do those chapters. And what they don't understand is that the, the addict self-image is taught throughout our culture. It's, it sure is. It's not even, you know, it's not like some sort of nuanced passive thing. I mean, it is drilled into every fabric of our existence from movies to health class and school to now they're teaching little kids all about 
you know, the powers, the mythical powers of drugs. So you're going to, you're going to learn this. And then when you get drunk and high, all of a sudden, now you start imbuing that experience with being an addict or an alcoholic. Right. Right. You know, if you still have that self image by the way that you think and act like I had a, I had a class today, uh, a coaching session with one of my students and, and she said an interesting thing. She was talking about going to a brunch with her girlfriends and nobody else has ever had a problem. Like there, nobody else is an alcoholic. Nobody else has been to meetings or anything like that. And one of the girls um, said they were talking about last week and she said, oh yeah. She goes, you know, I went home from work and I just had one of those nights where I just felt like getting drunk by myself watching Netflix and she's like, and I did it. And I stayed up half the night and it was great. And I was a little bit hungover the next day, but I didn't care. It was totally fun and worth it. And 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 my student was like, I wanna, I wanna think that way. Mm. I wanna think that way. Now, granted, you know, not everybody thinks that that would be fun. That's not that wouldn't be a fun night for me. But if I decided to have a night like that, it wouldn't scare me. Do you know what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. I, I think that that uh, I have students in the past, one in particular, this fella, and he said to me, he had a pattern where he would build his life up. And that's pretty common. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he would, he would self-sabotage and he would destroy it. I mean, he would literally yep. sit in a, he had a room separated from everybody in his family in the basement. <clears throat> and he would drink himself right into detox. And he did this every like three months, perfectly synchronized. And he said, you know, I feel like that's what I have to do. Hmm. And I said to him, let's say his name was Bob. I said, Bob, I, I don't think you have to do that. And he goes, you know, you're the first person that's ever said that. And I thought about that, you know, in class. And I said, really, nobody's ever told you that you don't have to keep doing this pattern. And he goes, mm -hmm. no, they came up with all the reasons why I have the pattern. You know, they were attaching it to past traumas. I was trying to escape and all this stuff. And he goes, but frankly, it's just a long time ago, I had decided that this is what needed to happen in my life. He goes, I don't know where the fuck I got that idea from, <laughs> you, you know? And, and literally he was about nearly 50 years old and when I met him, I had to take him to detail. I mean, he was a train wreck. He was an absolute train wreck. Um, and I said, well, why don't you just stop doing that? And, and he thought about it and he goes, I think I can. I, I, you Probably know, for the first time. Yeah, because nobody had ever said that that it was just something he had created for himself. Well, it, that's we also talked about that today, that there's – it's so interesting because I – we went – through the questions. And I think it was chapter nine questions in the workbook In the workbook. Okay. And one of them was, you know, have you ever wondered if you're a real alcoholic, Ugh. right? Like a real yeah. alcoholic. And in, when you've worked with people for as long as we have, you see the whole spectrum. You can see the big picture of the way people drink right? They're drinking patterns. And there are people who come to us who drink six beers a night and they think that's too much. 
right? And then there are people that come to us and they don't drink for several months like you were talking about. And then they go on this epic bender for like a week and they hole up and they need to go to detox because they drink around the clock, right? For a period of time. And that they have those epic benders and they have them every three to six months or something. Right. And then there, and it's everybody in between. And there's, of course, there are the daily, like Mark and I, I my bender was six months at the end, you know, but before that, I was a, I was a party girl. You know, I like to, I, I drank most nights. Um, it was only the last six months that I really drank all day long because I thought I had to, because mm-hmm. I thought that because there had been an intervention done with me and I was told I was an alcoholic or, you know, had the earmarks of becoming an alcoholic. And so I was like, all right, well, let's just see how that goes. <laughs> so anyways, what I'm saying is there's no such thing as a real alcoholic. Oh, that, yeah, that, that we, we have to get rid of this real alcoholic thing. That was Bill Wilson's fantasy. Um, it's uh, it's a moving target. It's whatever you want it to be That's because, right. because the term alcoholic is a made up idea. There is no loss of control. Nope. So the earmark of a real alcoholic is uh, supposedly by its definition is that you lose control and you can't stop and you have, you have no ability to stop without some sort of external means of change, whether it's God, a spiritual experience, a psychic change, uh, all these types of things. Um, our beliefs, whatever you determine is, is your uh, limit or how you want to change your life in, in regards to your substance, that's valid. It's yeah. whatever you want it to be. I knew some people that lived near me, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, and they drank like fishes. I mean, they drank all the time, but they would never do drugs. Drugs in their code of ethics mm. was they, they, they were dead set against any drugs. They were bad. But these dudes drank every day consistently and they were violent and crazy. And, but if you ever said, are you an alcoholic? They'd look, they'd punch you in the mouth. They'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And <laughs> those guys are losers, you know, right. because, because these guys are very good, hard workers. They're blue collar guys. And they were, they, they always had nice cars, nice houses. Um, and they drank and they abused people. You know, that's what they did. Um, and by any professional means of, today's American society, they're alcoholics, they're real alcoholics, but they're not, they're not because there is no such thing. They're just people that have certain personal preferences for drugs from one level to another, but there is no loss of control ever. That that's the tricky little part is convincing people that they have a loss of control. Right. And then, then you are in need of an external means of changing you called treatment that you have to pay for. That's what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so the addict identity, you know, if, if somebody asks me, is there such a thing as a real alcoholic? I'll say no. The only time, and the truth is people don't ever lose control, but if you believe in it, if you believe in it, it can be incredibly difficult yep. and confusing yep. and it can feel like you're out of control. And, and we've said this before, but when you, especially if you've gone to treatment or if you've gone to AA, the things that they tell you are filled with half truths. Okay. So, so what happened to me when I first went, I knew I was in control, even though I was drinking all day long every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I would shake in the morning, but that didn't compel me to drink. 
Right, right. And it was right, just a choice right. of, yeah, this is what I want to do. That's because right. I don't want to shake, right? And That's right. I worked at a job at a mailing house where I had to stuff envelopes. So shaking was kind of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I, but when I went, they ask you certain things and you cherry pick memories that fit the criteria. And what I mean by that is I can remember the, like not believing that I was a real alcoholic because I still felt like I was in control. And then somebody said, but did you say you were going to have two drinks? Then you went out and you had more. I mean, how many times did you drive drunk when you said you weren't going to drink? I'm like, oh. Yeah, oh. but that's changing your mind. Changing your mind. But I, but, but that's it though. But I remember thinking, oh yeah, there's been plenty of times that I did that. But I didn't think there's plenty of times I didn't. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good point. So you start fulfilling the definition that somebody has assigned you. Yes. Yes. You have selective memory so that all of a sudden you think, oh, my God, I must be out of control. Right. I must be powerless. That's that's how a very smart, educated person buys in. That's a good point. And and here's the other thing. Because we are trained, we are trained by society and by our families to say, I don't know why I like to get drunk. Oh, that's for sure. You're not allowed to say you like it. Right. Because truthfully, if you were to say you liked it, they'd say you like, you know, crashing the cars. You <laughs> like that. that <laughs> you like getting the DUI. You like, right. you so, know, yelling at your kids. Right. So, so they're like, you like the consequences. So, um, so that's pointed out. So you quickly back up, you learn very quickly to say, I don't know why I do this. So the front end motivation for a drunk or getting high becomes invisible because nobody discusses it. Right. The consequences, point. the consequences become extremely vibrant, mm. discussed. And then what, what's your option? Are you going to say, well, yeah, dude, I, I wanted to get so shit-faced and it ended in DUI and I'm sorry, but that's that's the price I'm willing to pay. I mean, nobody's going to say that to their wife or their right, husband. Right, You know, they're not, they're not going to want to say that. Um, so, so you learn, so you learn to take on this powerless identity of somebody that doesn't know why they do it, who has lost control where there's an otherworldly force or disease present and taking over. And once that, then you'll start believing that and it becomes your truth because, because basically you're taught not to ever discuss ever that you like putting a needle in your arm and, and enjoy the high. You, right. You know what I mean? Right. It's not okay. So really the addict and alcoholic self-image comes out of a kind of a, a place of, shame and guilt and you know and there are benefits to to playing that charade i'm just moving that closer okay <laughs> so so people play the charade because because they get kind of perks for it yeah you know yes. and then it becomes a way of life so look at <clears throat> you'll know when the addict self-image is truly gone when it's easy when so you, true. when you don't attribute other life problems to this idea that at one point you were had an alcohol and drug problem, when you 
uh, when you don't have to wake up in the morning, be mindful of, am I going to drink today? Am I not going to drink today? Am I going to cop drugs today? Like, like you're not going to wake up thinking about that stuff anymore when you don't, I don't know how else to put it. When it's not the forefront thing in your mind. Yeah. When it's not the identity of who you are. Um, I, uh, I think that for me, the reason I was able to quit so young is because I didn't have a lot of guilt about getting fucked up. I, I really didn't. I would, I would party mm. and, and then I, I eventually just kind of gave up trying to be this perfect kid. And, and I just said, fuck it. I'm just going to get hammered and and I'm going to enjoy this. And what that allowed me to do was to be honest with myself openly right and be able to make decisions quicker because i wasn't off here distracted by the consequences i knew the p- price i was willing to pay people would say to me mark man you you go crazy you party heavy hmm. you're a blast to be around it's it's refreshing it's you know and uh and it was it was refreshing i didn't have the guilt i let go of the guilt and once i did that Oh yeah. I was off to the races. I mean, I, I, I partied like I never partied before. I did all kinds of drugs. I had crazy sex. I was just out of my mind with everything. And then I burned out on it. I just got bored mm-hmm. and I, I allowed myself to get bored because I could be honest about that too, because I hadn't taken on the identity. Then something happened. I remember me and my brother were going to um, Hampton beach one afternoon and uh, this was such a crazy thing. And we drove all the way to Hampton Beach. Hmm. It's a long way. It's a long, yeah, it's like three and a half, four hours. <laughs> and we got there and we, we spent the whole time. Ne- we were one block from the beach and we spent the entire time we were there, like three hours, just trying to cop weed. <laughs> and eventually, <laughs> and eventually we found a guy drinking Foster's Lagers in a parking lot. We drank like three of his Foster's Lagers, <laughs> big, big oil cans, you know, and then we drove home. Oh, God, you never went to the beach? Never went to the oh, beach. It was man. July. It was packed. It was, it, there's fireworks going off. And the only thing we could think about was getting fucked up. So on the way home, I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. Uh, this was the first time that I ever said it openly. And my brother, Paul, was like, me too. Me too. <laughs> and and uh, it was a really depressing ride home. But I never really fully believed it, but that's when it started to creep in. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and then I started drinking like that. I started to take on the daily drinking. Um, I did a ton of cocaine at this point in my life, and then that stopped. But then I retained with the benders with alcohol, and then I became a daily drinker for about six months, and it damn near killed me. Um, but, but it started with an idea. Yes. It started with, for me, the criteria on a trip to Hampton Beach. I Mm. I mean, that for whatever reason, that's where that was the only time that I was willing to say I was an alcoholic. But but literally right after that is when all my drinking and drugging just took off like a rocket ship because I said, fuck it, if this is what I'm going to be. Now, I, I had taken on portions of the identity since I was 12 years old. And yes. at this point, I was 18. And, and it just, it was really, really, really harmful to think that way. And it was a slow degradation into this weird, seedy little world that I built where I felt hopeless. 
eventually. I, you know, you made me think about when, when did I start that? So that's when I became a real, real alcoholic. alcoholic. What when, a bunch of bullshit that you is. You know, it was, there was this, in AA, there were these pamphlets. Okay. And when you're a kid going, being the dragged, comic book ones that, yes. Remember the comic book ones. Yeah. And when you're a kid going to these meetings, you like somebody like you, the, my, man, the man who crashed the car. <laughs> I remember I can see them. In <laughs> Me my too. Mind. Me so too. there was one that was this checklist. And as a kid, I had oh, like a, a checklist. I had a thing about checklists. I still do. Like I love checking things off of checklists. So, so, like my father would always put those in front of my sister and I, and so we could like and give us like something to write with so we could like draw and keep ourselves occupied. And so I'll never, this checklist was emblazoned into my mind. So I would keep that in my mind. Like I haven't checked that off. The morning drink. The morning drink. I remember that. Okay. And drinking alone. So one morning I'm at college and it was probably the beginning of my junior year because I'm remembering the apartment I was in. And everybody else had gone to class and I had blown off class that day. And so I was sitting there alone, packing the bong, right? Um, I, I had a Jack and Coke and it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. And oh, it was 11 o'clock because Price is Right came on. And I was sitting there and I really thought, my first thought was, this is the life. Like I was like super happy. I was by myself. I had my booze. I had my bong. I was like, yes, I'm going to smoke weed by myself. And then my next thought was, oh, this is, this, I'm checking (laughs) checking off some boxes. (laughs) And that's when I was like, well, maybe. And then I think I settled into this idea that I was an addict and an alcoholic and that at some point I would have to stop and it wasn't going to be now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that's when the guilt starts. It does. That's when the guilt well, starts. The guilt started with me in the beginning. That's true. Me because, too. Because, yeah, me too. because we were in a AA home. AA home. And so, right from go, yeah. it was, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. I sh- and I was raised Catholic. So, the other behaviors that were going along with it, right. bad guilt, bad guilt. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, when that stuff starts to set in, it's kind of insidious. And it is. And you don't. It is even after you quit, right? So I quit drugs six months, six, seven months before I quit drinking. And then after I quit drinking, I felt more like an alcoholic after I stopped drinking. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's so, but that's only because you immediately got immersed into AA. Yeah. 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 And I can remember feeling like just like a loser, like yeah. this, yeah. and you know, when we've talked about this before, I was totally depressed for months going to meetings and, and thought that my life was over, like that my life as I knew it was over, partly because, you know, I was only 22 years old and I had to swear off alcohol forever. And I'm like, that, it just seemed so extreme to me because it, it was, <laughs> it was extreme. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, so I, and what's weird is I didn't even believe in the addiction disease. And I still had this somehow this belief that there was something about me that was different than other people. Well, I don't think that if you grow up in, a, in an AA household, I don't think there's any way to avoid feeling that way. Yeah. You can rally against it. And I know a lot of my siblings, I grew up with 12 siblings, so well, 11 siblings, but um, 
I know a lot of them rallied against it. I can remember some of my sisters being like, this is crazy, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but if you ask them today, whether there's an alcoholic or not an alcoholic, they would obviously say there is one, there is such a thing. Oh yeah. So, so you can consciously logically understand that there's, that, that there's probably that the way they describe an alcoholic in AA is weird yes. and a constantly moving target. And people intuitively know the contradictions and the weirdness of it and the bullshit. They can, they can smell the bullshit. Humans are pretty good problem solvers. They figure mm, that out. But true. at the same time, they don't want to be the squeaky wheel that goes against the movement. Right. The, 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 the entire, I mean, 2 million people can't be wrong, right? Well, they, they are, they are, <laughs> they, they are wrong. There's been entire countries that have committed genocide on another side for over an idea. People are wrong. People yeah. can be wrong on a, on a massive scale. Yeah. On a, on a massive scale history, just know your history and you'll see that that shit happens and tragedies, mass tragedies happen all the time. AA is a mass tragedy. Yeah. It's, it's a tragedy. What's happened teaching people. They have a disease they don't have. It's not only unethical, it should be criminal. Yeah. Think about that. Can you imagine doing that with cancer? There is no loss of control, but yet we teach people that they have a loss of control. Why? To control them. That is exactly right. So that they will not trust their own thinking. And and there can't be anything in this world more damaging than... than (laughs) undermining a person's self-efficacy. Yeah. Taking away their autonomy saying you really don't have the ability to think for yourself. You need me to do it for you. That is tyranny. It's called the tyranny of experts. And, uh, and AA has it in droves. You know, the treatment community is based upon it. It's the tyranny of experts. It's misinformation that keeps you tied to the tyranny, to the tyrants and the tyrants are the people you're paying to be treated. So, so it's, um, yeah, it's it's really important that you reject the addict alcoholic self-image, reject labels. And so I made a challenge on TikTok, real simple one. It was a 30-second video. I said, whatever labels you have for yourself, I'm smart, I'm funny, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm guilty, I'm miserable, I'm, I'm a bad kid, um, all these things. I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict. I want you to shed all of them. And what are you left with? I want you literally uh, sit down and get rid of every label that you've ever given yourself or has been given to you. And what would you be left with? And it's shocking because what you're left with is you, just you, and you can be whatever you want. All of a sudden, if you didn't have a diagnosis, if you didn't have alcoholism by some Mm -hmm. professional bullshit artist, by the way, um, what would you be left with? A person that likes to drink. Yeah. Hmm, A person, a person, a thinking, autonomous, thinking person that thinks there's value in being fucked up. Okay, we can work with that. That can change. But if you're an alcoholic, you need somebody else involved. That's right. That is exactly right. So how do you get rid of the alcoholic or the addict self-image? Well, you read the book. Yep. Cover to cover. That's beginning right. to end, That's go right. through the appendices. If you hadn't read the appendices, read them. If you're still, if there is a part of you that says how, you know, I'm, I still, I'm still drinking more than I want every night. Number one, know that you're not drinking more than you want. You're drinking exactly what you want. 
That's important to understand. Okay. There is a period of time. If you're somebody that's, and I, I talked about this in my class today, there is a period of time where your drinking becomes mindful and it's not, it's, we don't want it to become mindful. So you feel bad about it. So you feel guilty about it. We want it to, you'd become mindful about it so you can really look at it and say, okay, I'm doing this because I like it. I really like it. Let's, let me figure out how much I really like it. Do I, am I happier with two drinks? Am I happier with eight drinks? Am I happier with 15 drinks, like really pay attention to to the set and the setting. And the set is your mindset, right? If you're reading the book um, and the setting that you're in, is this appropriate? Am I drinking, you know, is this helpful? Like, is this drinking good? Somebody said something online today in our group about I'm going to a concert. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? I'm going to a concert. And so how am I, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do that. Well, mindful, right? You you run the experience and say, what if I go to this concert and I'm totally stone cold sober? What if I'm abstinent? Why don't I just run that experiment and see how much I'd like it? You know, turns out I prefer being at concerts, not being intoxicated. Me too. Me you too. know, live music Always is very have. important to me. Yeah. I love it. It's, and it's an intoxicating environment anyway. Yeah, I get emotional. I me get emotional. Too, me too. I get emotional at sporting events. Yeah. When we went to Syracuse, I got emotional. We so just saw fun. It. it is. When you when you feel that kind of energy of collective people just cheering and going crazy, it's so awesome. It's it so really freaking is. awesome. I love it too. Yeah. So fun. <laughs> so I think we're gonna I think we're coming to the to the half hour and I have to do another another class here coming up. So yeah. um if you are struggling and you need help, you can always call us at 888-424-2626. We offer the online program, which is video series, which I think is, there's commercials at the beginning and the end of this that talk about each of our products. I just don't know which is which. So, um, yeah, we're, look, at, we're here to help you. We have a team of people that, that do coaching and, um, and if you're, Michelle just mentioned in that last segment, if you're at the point where you're becoming mindful, but you're struggling with it and you're struggling to understand the fantasy that you create out of drugs, this is an important point Mm. that, so I'm going to digress before the end. Um, If you're struggling with you drink or you drug, and then you go into your private world and you create another world for yourself, that's, that's a real common experience. It's a powerful, powerful ritual though. It really and, is. And you're creating it and you're destroying yourself with it at the same time. So that that may need some discussion to go over and analyze, okay, what am I really, what am I giving credit to the drug for when really it's my own fantasy? And when you match up your fantasy with the physical pleasure of the drug, you're really creating a, a very difficult thing initially to change. You have to understand why you're doing it. You have to understand what the fantasies are, and you have to understand what the drugs can and cannot do. That's that's a big pile of information that needs to mm. that you need to weed through. So if you need somebody to do that analysis with, that's what the coaching is for. Because it some is. people really need that pulling apart of all those pieces. Yeah, and like an analysis through discussion. That's right. Right, because sometimes that's what it takes. Yep. So, all right, everybody, look at if you're uh, keep stay the course, 
be mindful. Sometimes this t- is a little bit of a process, okay, yeah. of, of really shedding the addict alcoholic self-image, but All you right. can do it. All right, everybody. Take okay. care. Are you seeking private, personalized coaching to solve your addiction? Do you want to move fully past your addiction without endless meetings, therapies, and rehabs? Some of you might also want to deprogram from the 12-step belief system for good. If so, then the Freedom Model Online Coaching is for you. Learn the addiction solution that has helped tens of thousands of people to solve their addiction for good and move on completely free from the trappings of perpetual recovery. You can work privately with a certified Freedom Model coach without having to put your life on hold, leave work and family. And again, you can do it without having to attend any group meetings or group therapy sessions. When you enroll in the Freedom Model online coaching program, you'll be assigned your own personal Freedom Model coach who will guide you through learning the Freedom Model in 12 private coaching sessions via video conference like Zoom or FaceTime. You will have three coaching sessions per week And you will also get 30 days access to the Freedom Model online program, which consists of more than 65 video lessons taught by me and my colleague and addiction expert, Mark Sharon. In addition to those video lessons, the online program also includes our 12-step deprogramming seminar series, a new Freedom Model quick lesson posted weekly, the monthly Freedom Model newsletter, the Freedom Model for the Family online program, and a two-hour live coaching session with Mark and me on the last Wednesday of each month. Go to thefreedommodel.org to learn more or call 888-424-2626 and start your journey to complete freedom today.